0: Welcome to Forest City Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We hope that you find today's message encouraging on your journey of figuring out what it looks like to follow Jesus in the 21st century. Um, so today I'm going to read from Exodus 17 verses 8 to 13. So I'll give you a second if you want to flip to there. Um, yeah. It's nice that the snow is finally melted thankfully. All right, so verses eight. The Amalekites came to an attack to the Israelites at Riphidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight for the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites are winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword.
1: Dutch Sheets, in his acclaimed book, Intercessory Prayer, begins his entire book with this story. Dutch tells of a time that he was pastoring in Colorado, and there was a member from his church who came to him and said, hey, could you go pray for someone, my sister actually at the hospital? He agreed, and to his surprise, when he showed up to the hospital, he found Diane. Diane was in a comatose state with tubes down her throat and a feeding tube, and she's been in the state for over a year and a half. He found out that the sister didn't really tell him the whole story about Diane's condition, fearing that if she did tell him everything, he wouldn't show up, which he admits he probably wouldn't. He talks to the doctors, and they said she will most likely die. Even if the miraculous happens and she somehow awakes from her comatose, she, because of the severe brain damage she's experienced, she'll be nothing more than a vegetable. Although, Dutch already blocked off this hour, and there he was in this hospital room with this motionless Diane, and so he decided to pull up a chair and begin to pray for her for the next hour. And what happened in that hour was nothing for Diane. She remained motionless, lifeless in her bed right there, but something happened in Dutch's life. He, in that hour, became overcome with emotion, a deep compassion formed in him for this stranger that he's never met before, for this lifeless individual laying here in this hospital bed. So the next week, he goes back for another hour, and he prays, and the week after that, he goes back to pray for her again, the week after that, and the week after that, and this became his weekly rhythm for an entire year. He goes every week to this hospital room to pray for Diane in person for one hour. It was around the two-year mark of her comatose state that the doctors transferred to the nursing home. They told the family to expect that she will probably be gone soon and that her condition is getting severely worse and she will likely die. Dutch, upon hearing this, rushes to the hospital, to that hospital room one final time, and he is pleading, tears running down his face, saying to her in the hospital room, it is not too late for a miracle. 3 days later from that moment to everyone's surprise Diane wakes up. She does not die but in fact she wakes up and not only did she wake up she woke up with full restoration to her brain. This was such a big story that the local newspapers reported it on the front page saying quote woman awake alive healthy after 2 year coma. The doctors are reporting to call it a medical miracle, saying they have no logical explanation for how this actually happened. What conjures up in your imagination when you hear a story like that? Do you get excited? Does excitement come up inside you or disbelief? See, I believe in a room like this, there's half of you when you hear a story like this, you get excited, here we are talking about intercessory prayer, you think we should pause this service right now and have an impromptu prayer meeting right now and let's intercede on God and see what will happen. But for many of us, when we hear stories of God's miraculous answers to prayer, we naturally have this level of suspicion. We initially doubt the legitimacy of the pastor's prayers had actually any real effect. See, we find ourselves starting asking questions like, well, maybe the individual would have woken up anyways, regardless of whether the pastor went and prayed every week for Diane. Or other questions start to come to the surface. If God was planning to wake her up, why did he wait for two years? Why did he put the family through all that turmoil and frustration and grief and disbelief only to just wake her up after two years? And why does God seem to wake up some people from comas but not others? Or maybe even more personally, I've been praying for things for longer than two years with seeming no little effect with my prayers. Is there seem to be some particular formula that God answers some prayers and not others? Is there a certain way that I need to kneel or close my eyes or say the right words in the right order that God will answer my prayers but doesn't? The complic- complexity of prayer is present for all of us. See, stories like this, we might feel inspired, but then we pray. And then as soon as we pray for many of us, we come this level of skepticism kind of flows through our thinking, as with the question is, do my prayers matter? Do my prayers matter? Are my simple mutterings, my simple prayers, are they changing any realities in the world? we're in a a new teaching series in this month called The Practice of Prayer. And we're looking at the ancient practice of prayer, one of the most foundational ones of the earliest followers of Jesus. And we're looking at this ancient prayer and how do we make sense in our modern context? How do we take this practice of prayer and actually infuse it into the very lives that we live in our daily comings and goings and today we're specifically looking at what many call intercessory prayer the idea of praying for others we're going to look at this subject uh, through three different questions the what the why and the how so first part one the what the word Intercession, it comes from the Latin word intercedo, which means to come between. And both the ancient definition is the same as the modern definition of the word. Intercede means to go or to pass between, to act between two parties or to mediate. See, where last week Amy talked about petition prayer, that idea of having requests to God out of our needs and out of our desires, intercessory prayer is to intercede. It is to mediate between God and another individual. It's to put yourself in the place between someone else and God. Simply put, intercessory prayer is to pray for others. See, intercession is shifting the focus from yourself to someone else. It's moving past the endless questions that we ask ourselves over and over again is, what do I want? What do I need? Where do I want to be? What more do I want to accomplish and acquire? See, intercession, it starts with love and it ends with love. It's loving people so deeply that you're compelled to intercede on their behalf. Richard Foster, in his great book on prayer, titled Prayer, he says this about intercessory prayer. That was a joke for you that or this was too many definitions. I put that in for you. Didn't even laugh at it. I'll keep up with the definitions. Anyways, Foster, this is what he says. It's my favorite. He says this. If we truly love people, if we, if we truly love people, We will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. Such a good definition. So who do you love? Who do you care about so deeply? And whoever that person or persons are, do you sometimes feel like that you are not enough? That you don't have enough to give? That their, their challenges and their frustrations, is, their complexities is beyond yourself? That this problem is not one that you can solve on your own? Well, Foster says, well, this should lead you to prayer. If you truly love people, you want to give them more than it is within you to give. And this always leads us to prayer. Several months ago, um, someone I cared for and knew, uh, picked up the phone and they gave me a call. And they began to outline some things that happened in their life and this was challenging. And as I listened on the other side of the phone, I felt so helpless in those moments See, I knew that this person didn't need me to answer any theological question. They didn't need me to strategize with them. They didn't need me to come up with solutions because the complexity of it is way beyond any solutions and my experience or training prepared me for. So what other option? What other option do I have but to take it to the one that has the power to potentially change their reality? Intercessory prayer is the way we show great compassion to those who are around us. So that's what intercessory prayer is, but why is it so important? Why do we pray anyways? Why do we have even have confidence in praying for others and that will make any change? To answer that question, we're going to take some time to look at some of the biblical themes of intercession and help bring to the surface that question of why. One of the greatest intercessors of history is Moses. Moses, if you're not familiar, was the one who freed the Jewish people from enslavement in Egypt, Let My People Go, Prince of Egypt, great film, watch it, you'll get all you need to know. But anyways, Moses was the, in the, the, he was the figurehead, he interceded for his people, the Hebrews and God. He was the mediator, he's the one that represents the Hebrews to God. And this, scene is, this image is seen in many different parts of Moses' life, but I think most visibly in the story that, of the battle within the Malachites, which uh, Angie just read for us a few minutes ago. But let me just summarize what's happening. This is in the infancy of the Hebrew people leaving Egypt, and they're really vulnerable, and the Malachites realize this, and they want to take advantage of this vulnerability, and so they attack them. So Joshua, the the military leader, he goes out to battle the Malachites. That's what the focus of the scene is that day. Everyone's looking. There's this great battle for our survival, for our very life, whether us as a nation are going to exist early on. And so we're fighting for our very existence. But behind the scenes of the battle is Moses who goes up on a hill and is interceding on behalf of the Hebrew people. And the story tells, as long as Moses' hands are up in the air, the, uh, up, um, the Hebrews are winning. But he's an old man. And he's praying, he's interceding, and it's taking its toll, and he gets tired, and when his hands fall, the Hebrew people begin to lose to the Amalekites. Aaron and Hur see what's going on, so they put rocks for, under his arms to keep him up and for him to sit down. It's, it's an image of what intercession is. See, while Joshua is fighting a physical one, Moses is fighting a spiritual one at the same time. There's two battles happening that day. A spiritual reality is happening behind the scenes so much that Moses is exhausted from what his exertion is creating for praying and interceding for the Hebrews at this point. Richard Foster says this, commenting on the past. He says, Joshua is the commander who won the victory that day. He was the person up front in the thick of the conflict, but you and I know the rest of the story. Back behind the scenes, the battle of intercession was won by Moses and Aaron and her. Each role was essential for victory. See, this story powerfully illustrates to you and I the reality of what we see and what we don't see. What seems to be the main thing, what seems to be the main struggle, and the power of those who are interceding behind the scenes. See, Moses, he was the great intercessor, interceding on behalf of his people before God. Even at some times, Moses seems to, in a perplexing way, change God's mind about the fate of his people. He is begging God, pleading with God, interceding for his people and all the silly mistakes they make. And it seems, based on this reality and this story, that his intercession seems to change the scope of history. That history does not seem to be set for the Jewish people, but rather it's being shaped by his interceding, mediating his prayers to God. Now, most of us are not Moses, except for Moses Muhalla, who actually goes to our church. But most of us are actually not Moses. We don't have burning bush moments. We haven't faced the greatest superpower of the day and seen God miraculously bring in these 10 plagues to free millions of people from enslavement. See, our testimony is not one of parting red seas. Our face doesn't shine like um, Moses when we experience God's glory. See, if we're honest, many of us, our spiritual lives are boring, mediocre at best. See, God doesn't seem to respond the same way to our prayers that he did for Moses. So what confidence do we have? What authority do we have to pray for others in the same confidence that Moses did? What ability do we have to intercede for others? Well, if you turn the pages of the biblical story, you'd find yourself at the pages of the New Testament. And Jesus comes in, he changes this whole reality. And then our authority is not under one person, one special person selected to represent a people. Our authority is now under a new covenant and a new Kingdom. This is shown over and over again in the pages of the New Testament, but I think Paul's letter to the church in Rome specifies or simplifies it the best. This is what he says in Romans 8, verses 34 Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, just give me a minute. I want to get into a little bit of theology for us to understand the significance of what Paul just said. For many of us, it's just a verse, we hear it, we move on, but there's a lot that Paul's saying there that I think is significant. First of all, Paul is reminding the the individuals of Rome that Christ died. This was a well-established fact. This was much of the early church, and this is something that you and I know as today, as followers of Jesus. We sing a lot about it, Christ's death. We have services all around that. And then he says, more than that, he also raised to life. The best evidence demonstrates that Jesus actually rose from the grave. We celebrate Easter. We sing songs about that. That is something that isn't unfamiliar to us as well. But then he says this, but Jesus is also at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That is not so much common in our language or in our celebration or what we focus in on when we talk about Jesus His death, his resurrection, his teachings. Yeah, we talk a lot about that, but what is Jesus currently doing right now? What does it mean for Jesus to be at the right hand of the Father? See, in the early church, these three aspects were very close and near to them and how they spoke about Jesus. All three of them were ones that they talked about, sang about, and taught about. See, to the early followers of Jesus, they saw Jesus as the great bridge builder. Because of his perfect sacrifice and being raised from the grave, he now mediates between humanity and God. As a result, the earliest followers believe that Jesus intercedes on their behalf. He gives us an audience with the Father, which was not possible before. Intercession would be pointless without Jesus, in other words. Without Jesus, it would be, as Richard Foster suggests, ants trying to talk to humans. Our prayers would just go up, would have no connection because the bridge wasn't there. But Jesus comes in and He creates a bridge between heaven and earth, the mediator, the one who's interceding on our behalf when we pray. Dutch Sheets summarizes it this way Jesus is not simply praying for us, He is interceding for us so we can pray. So when I pray, with all my mess and all my sin and all my dreams of being one way and the realities and all this stuff that I bring and all my brokenness, when I pray and my prayers go up to heaven, Jesus is there and saying, You remember my son Jordan? Yeah, I went to the cross, I, I bled for him. So remember that, Father. We, so when his prayers come, remember, I vouch for him. My life, my, my sacrifice made a, an access. Remember, remember we've, we've talked about this. Why is this so important? When the ancient world, um, kings would give decrees, and when they were, couldn't be present, they would give a stamp, or they would give a mark, something that would demonstrate their authority. So everywhere you'd go with this letter with the king's stamp on it, you'd represent the king. You would have the authority, the extension of the king. Your authority was connected to the connection to the king based on the stamp. Let me give you a modern illustration that would be equivalent that most of you would be more familiar with. When you go to Costco, they have these two people with these red vests. But don't don't think they're kind. They are not. They have one job. They want to make sure that you have a Costco membership before you go in, and they will not let you in without one. And so when you go into Costco, you just flash your Costco membership, and that now gives you access to go buy several things that you had no plan or intention of buying before you entered into the store. But say you came with me, and you weren't exclusive like me and had an exclusive Costco membership, but because you're with me, now you have access to Costco to also spend your money on things that you never planned on spending it on. In the same way, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and when we pray in his name, when we pray in the name of Jesus, we now have access to that power because of the sacrifice that Jesus had for us. Why the 20th century brilliant theologian Karl Barth says that when we intercede, when we intercede, we are set at God's side and lifted up to Him, and therefore to the place where decisions are being made in the affairs of His government. See, the New Testament. Followers and writers had this cosmic picture of what prayer looked like, of what intercession actually is. See, they didn't see prayer as something that is polite and simple as some, you know, obligatory or formality that you do right before you eat a meal. But they saw their prayers as actually shaping history, that they saw when they prayed that Jesus himself is interceding their prayers and coming to the Father. Now they have access to the King because of that. (sighs) Recently, a a friend of mine, he was spending some time with his grandmother, and uh, he put this quote online of something that his grandmother said that I just thought was so good, I asked if I could share it today. He didn't get back to me, so I think it's okay. (laughs) He did. He He said it's okay. (laughs) But this is what his grandmother says. 86-year-old grandma. I feel my main mission is to pray. I can't do anything right now. I can't even get my own groceries. Ah, But I can reach around the world in prayer. I think that 86 year old grandmother understood the significance of praying in Jesus' name. She saw the cosmic reality of when she prays in the name of Jesus, her prayers have an effect. Not because of her ability but because she's accessing the Father through Jesus. It is now, you and I as followers of Jesus, it is our privilege and responsibility to access the Father through Jesus for the sake of others. This is what intercessory prayer is. In effect, when we pray prayers for others, we're ushering the kingdom of God in people's lives. Pete Gregg, the founder of 24-7 Prayer, says it this way, To be in Christ is to be drawn up into his intercession for the world. It's to be filled with the spirit is to be filled with an interceding spirit. Where once we could ignore the problems of others, we begin to caring deeply for them. We are sensitized to the world's brokenness. We yearn for our friends to know Jesus. Our lives take the shape of a simple, single prayer Your kingdom come. Therefore, we don't pray in Jesus' name as as neither simply a colloquialism or formality, but rather we pray the only way we believe that our prayers could have any effect. Therefore, the power of your prayers, your prayers, The power of your prayers are not based on how passionate they are or how eloquent they sound, nor are they based on your temperament or your spiritual fervor or what qualifications you're bringing to the table. What makes our prayers powerful and effective is in who names we are praying in. So how do we do this? How do we become people of intercession three simple things for us to walk away with around the hell. First, get the intel. I believe our prayers are only impactful as the intel we have on what we're praying for. You want your prayers to have effect, you need to know how and what to pray for. I tell people all the time, I want to find intel, I want to know the reality so I can actually pray specifically into the issues at hand. Otherwise, our prayers just become kind of vague or overarching, and they're not actually specific. And so when they're not specific, we don't actually see God deliver on anything because we just prayed for help for somebody. When Amy and I first came to Burnaby, we spent one year, uh, what we call this the launch season. So before we started public services and all you came into this room, we actually started meeting with a small team. We did a bunch of renovations. But part of that journey was also to understand the heartbeat of Burnaby. We didn't know anything about Burnaby before we came here. We didn't know anyone that lived in Burnaby. And so we wanted to understand what is Burnaby about? Like, what are some of the pain points? What are some of the joys of this city? And so you can go to something called city hall meetings. I didn't know if you could do it. I don't know if you knew this, but you can. They're public. You can go sit there. Uh, they have like a little balcony, and you can be part of the city hall meeting. So this is what I did as a church planner. I went to the city hall meeting, and me and the four other people that all seemed to have actually business there. But anyways, I was there. It was very long. Um, But it gave me a moment to start seeing the different counselors, the mayor, start hearing about the different dreams they had, some of the challenges and problems Burnaby had. Some of the history was even woven in in that three-and-a-half-hour meeting. So when I walked out of that city hall late at night, a lot later than I told Amy it would be, I had a greater sense of Burnaby. I had greater intel what to pray for. And so when I walk around our city and when I pray for Burnaby and I say, your kingdom come, I can be specific with that prayer. I can know exactly where where we need to see God's kingdom come and the realities and the issues that Burnaby is facing. So once you get the intel, our second step would think, well, let's pray. Let's get at it. Let's get going. We need stuff to do. We've got to pray. We've got to see God come down, change. Let's go. Let's pray, 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 pray. But the second step is to listen. To pray for others, now this is different from petition, to pray for others is to want God's best for them. To do that, we need to position ourselves to hear from God. We need to ask the question from God what he desires for people, not what I do. Because when we pray for others, we just want them to be what we want them to be, right? I don't know if you have this way, but when you start asking God what they would want for something, you might get a different revelation. You might get different intel. You might get a different reality. You might pray things that you never thought you would pray, and maybe because their Heavenly Father knows something about them that you don't. So when we pray for others, we're not praying to have a better understanding of them. We're not praying to have a better understanding of what their Heavenly Father wants for them. We're being a conduit of grace and prayers, and so we want to listen. And we can do this in many different forms. It could just be as simple as meditation or reading Scripture, God's very words. But we want to take a moment and we want to listen before we pray. One place this is illustrated in our community is with our prayer team that prays here every Sunday for you after the service. Uh, they're instructed, and part of their, uh, how they pray is that when you come with a particular need, before they pray for you, at least they should, they need to pause for a moment. And they pause for a moment, one, to demonstrate the humility that it's not based on what they have or what they're bringing to the table, but they actually pause out of a practical reason. Because they just want to give a moment. That's all it is. They want to give a moment to see if the Holy Spirit might be drawing something to their mind or bringing something up for this particular person that's standing right in front of them at that moment. They want to posture that they're not praying for you because they're super good at prayers. or They're the most eloquent. Or they just have the most spiritual fervor and you just feel like heaven's coming down. They're demonstrating that they're just partnering with what the Lord has for you. And they just want to pray for you. Finally and lastly, get the intel, listen. And thirdly, how do we do intercessory prayer? Well, we keep a list. Now, that sounds really practical. It sounds maybe too systematic and not spiritual for some of you. But it's a way to keep track of who and what you're praying for. Maybe you have a better memory than myself, but if we don't have some way that we're have tracking the prayers and who we're praying from the, specific, the specificity of them, then we're probably forgetting them. And we're probably not as persistent and consistent with them as we could be. It's why I ask so many of our, our, our team leaders here on their teams that they, have, that they have a list of every person that serves on their team. They have their name written down somewhere on their phone or sticky note. Because the chances of them praying for those people on their team by name and the specific realities they're going through increases a lot when they actually see their names on a regular regular basis. By doing so, it keeps the forefront of those prayers in front of us. Several years ago, um, Amy and I were in Abbotsford, and we were away for a season, so we were back um, in our old stomping grounds where we fell in love, got married, all those things, right? And so we went back to the old post-secondary where Amy and I first met, and we fell in love. But as you get older, you know that when you go back to places like this, they have significant memories for you. You'll you'll know this, by the way, when you get older, this just happens, but... When you go, when we went back to this campus that we haven't been for several years at that point, or a couple of years, I would just remember going through this campus, walking among it that time, and so many memories were flooded back to my thinking. That place was really impactful in my life. It shaped and formed me. It's where I met Amy, it's where I, I heard the Lord call me to go into pastoral ministry. It was like so many things intersected in my life on that little hill four years that I was there. So each stairwell, each path, room, classroom, they all had memories. I remember wrestling with subjects in this class, and I remember having a prophetic word spoken over me in this row in the chapel, and I, I remember wandering up this pathway several times a day because it went right to my residence. And through this tour of me going down memory lane, I wandered into the library. I heard they had some renovations. And out behind the librarian desk came Lori Van Cleek, which I was actually quite surprised, because he had to be at least 90 when I was there, and he was still working. I figured he had to retire at this point, but he was still ticking away. He was a librarian at our school for decades. I think he actually is now retired, but he was there for such a long time, and he were catching up. I haven't seen him for a long time, and he was telling me about this, about some of his walks and his family. I was telling him about mine and ministry and this and that. And then he said this statement to me that stuck with me. He says, you know, you know I pray for you and Amy every day, and when someone says that to you in the moment, you're like, oh, thanks. That's so great. Thank, I appreciate that. But it wasn't until I was like, walking out of that library, as walking up the path, that I thought about the significance of that statement. Lori was there for decades. <laughs> that means that there had to have been hundreds, if not thousands of students that graduated from that school. But he prayed for Amy and I by name every single day. Now, I spent a lot of time in the library, so maybe he knew my challenges and knew I needed a lot of prayer, and that might be why I made it to the top of his list. But nevertheless, he probably had a list. He probably had a list of students that he put down on pen to paper somewhere that in his rhythm of prayer that he would go back to every day and pray for each one by name. I'm going to invite the keys to come back, and I want to end with this. I like results. I really like results. I like things happening. And I don't know about you, but I found myself early in this Christian movement and being part of churches that I get frustrated with people when they would say something like, I'll pray about it, or let me pray into that. I'd be like, yes or no, let's just move this needle, let's just keep things going. I always viewed prayer as sort of like a cop-out. And yes, and sometimes we need to act, and sometimes we need to do things, and we can't just simply pray all the time. But for some reason or another, I always saw it as a second-rate solution. I thought doing and acting and progress was more effective than just simply praying for things. But my thinking has shifted in the last few years of my life. Even the last six months, of what place prayer has in my life and in this community and in God's movement in this city. I wonder when I look back at my life, moments where God's hand has seemed to be over me. And I would have some success or progress or things seemed to happen. And uh, just like Joshua, the battle, I was winning it and I would receive praise for that and accolades and attention for that. But I wonder how many Moseses were behind me, interceding, praying, mediating between God and me and bringing me up to the Father countless on a daily basis. I wonder how many times the... A physical battle, a battle right in front of me was won simply because a spiritual battle was happening that I didn't even was aware about that people were interceding on my behalf. So spiritual reality at work and intercession acknowledges that and it says, Listen, I want to pray for my friend today. I want to lift them to their Heavenly Father, and I want to remind the Heavenly Father who they are and what the reality is. I want to lift it up in prayer. I have this little book that's kept right next to my chair that I read and spend my time with, and in it I write down prayers. Some seasons I'm more consistent than others. You'll see sometimes months of gaps where I didn't write anything in. Some seasons I'm open up these pages more consistent than others, but what I do is I write down prayers, and people come with me for prayer requests, and I remember I put it in the book. And then I pick up this book and I go through the things and I pray for names specific, the realities of the different things that are happening. But my favorite part about my book is that every time a prayer is answered, I get out a red pen, I put a check mark behind it. There's a couple that was friends with Amy and I for years, and I mean years. They couldn't have a baby. They tried every procedure. and They saw every doctor. They went through every step they possibly could. They just could not get pregnant. So every time i pick up this prayer book, their name would come up and I would pray. And one day, we get a call, and they called us. They said, hey, we're pregnant. Little boy... I went right to my prayer book. Got on my red pen. Chat mark. I say that because I also have a lot of other moments. There's other lines, there's other prayer requests in here that have no chat mark that I keep praying for. Interceding, believing God might show up at some point in those moments. But keep a list. I'm gonna invite you to stand with us and invite the prayer team to come forward. And before these lights just take out all of the ah, do we change the lights in here? It's just weird. Hey, the prayer team is coming. There's there's individuals actually at the back. There's people at the front. We're gonna sing a song as we always do. We're gonna conclude with with worship. But we would love to pray for you. Amy and I are here as well, and we would just love to pray for you. We would love to intercede on your behalf. we love to mediate. we love to bring your requests to the Heavenly Father and pray for his kingdom come in your life. So Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for this community. We thank you for the prayers that were prayed over us prayers that maybe we don't even know about. People who have been praying for us that we're not even aware of. But Lord, we've showed up where we are. We've had the life that we have, maybe because of prayers that have been spoken that we are not even aware of. And so Lord, we just acknowledge there's a spiritual reality at work in our lives and in our city and in the lives around us. And may we be a truly loving community. And may we love people to such a degree that we care for them more than what we can in our own power to give them. And may we lift people up in prayer. May this become a practice. May this become a rhythm of our community. When needs come, may we just even take moments and pray for them. May we just not do the formalities, I'll pray for you someday at some point, but Lord, may we actually be people that depend on you, Father. So Holy Spirit, I pray your presence would be known here. I pray that we would have the humility and the vulnerability to come and receive prayer. May we be people that depend on our Heavenly Father to meet us in our lack. So Jesus, may we be a community of prayer. May we pray, may we sing, and may we look to you, your beautiful name.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more resources, messages, or signing up for our current events, you can find everything on our website at forestitychurch.ca.